G'day everybody, my name is Elliot Waters and you're listening to the Disregulated Podcast. As always, thank you for tuning in. Today's episode is a big one. It is on borderline personality disorder. So we're going to go through what BPD is, what it's like for the person who suffers from BPD, what it's like for the people around the individual who's suffering from BPD, and we're also going to see how we can put BPD in its place into remission, what the therapies and techniques are to do so, because you can do it, which is the great news. But it is a very, very challenging disorder, as we're about to find out. But to begin with, what is a personality disorder? So our personality develops through the interaction between our genetic makeup and the world around us, our external environment. For some, our personalities become overly rigid and the way in which we think and behave can become harmful to ourselves and those around us. Personality disorders are severe, destructive, incapacitating and detrimental. And as I said, not only to the self, but those around us as well, who are usually the ones that care the most. Unfortunately, they tend to cop it, which is terrible. But anyway, we'll press on. It is my personal view that borderline personality disorder is the most harmful mental illness for those around the individual that has it. It is a very externalizing disorder, and a lot of the symptoms, thoughts, and behaviors are directed to those closest to them, even if that isn't the will of the person with BPD. Because in my experience, and I've met a lot of people with BPD, I have it myself, uh, I'm yet to meet anyone with BPD who goes out of their way to be destructive to others and and do it for fun and, and enjoy the fact that they do it. And yet, the problem is, although none of us want to do these things, we all do it to some degree. And this is why a lot of us with BPD carry a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of remorse around with us, but more on that later. So to begin with, to get a bit of an idea of what BPD is all about, let's have a look at the diagnostic criteria for BPD. This comes from the DSM-5. So to be diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, um, you need to tick off at least five of these following criterions out of nine. So if you're ticking five, you've probably got BPD. If you're ticking seven or eight, you've definitely got BPD. And if you're like me, which usually, depending on how I'm feeling, I tend to tick all nine, well, then we've got a big problem. We've got BPD in bucket loads. But anyway, let's go through it. Let's have a look at what the criterions, what the diagnostic criteria is. So it starts like this, a pervasive pattern of instability of interpersonal relationships, self-image and effects, effects meaning emotions, and marked impulsivity beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts as indicated by five or more of the following. So... Number one, frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment. I'll say that again. That wasn't very clear. Frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment. So maybe someone is trying to leave somebody um, and the person with BPD is trying to hold on to them and go to all these efforts to keep them around. But what can also happen is 
is the person with BPD can come up with this imagined abandonment that's about to happen. There, you know, this is this is what I do a lot. I am certain this person is about to leave, so I make all these frantic efforts to stop them from leaving, even though there's they they weren't leaving in the first place, and there is no logical basis to this at all. It all came up in my head. So there you go. Frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment, criterion one. Number two, a pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships characterized by alternating between the extremes of idealization and devaluation. That's a huge one, especially for me. Huge, huge. Number three, identity disturbance. Markedly and persistently unable self Unstable self-image or sense of self. Number four, impulsivity in at least two areas that are potentially self-damaging. For example, spending, sex, substance abuse, reckless driving, binge eating. Number five, recurrent suicidal behavior, gestures or threats or self-mutilating behavior. Number six, affective, again emotional, instability, due to a marked reactivity of mood. For example, intense episodic dysphoria, which is basically depression, irritability or anxiety, usually lasting a few hours and only rarely more than a few days. So these moods just keep on changing over and over again, multiple times a day in many cases, especially for me. Number seven, chronic feelings of emptiness. Number eight, inappropriate, intense anger or difficulty controlling anger. For example, frequent displays of temper, constant anger, recurrent physical fights. And number nine, transient stress-related paranoid ideation or severe disassociative symptoms. So that's the nine criteria if you're playing along at home. If you have ticked five out of the nine or more, I would go see a clinical psychologist and have a bit of a chat about the possibility that there might be some BPD traits hanging around. Because that doesn't necessarily mean you have the full disorder, but there might be some behaviors that are in line with BPD that need straightening out. And that's that's certainly something that can be done. So don't be too concerned if you did tick a few of those boxes. Don't worry. Okay, so moving on. So what we are often left with overall is an is an extremely emotional person in which the pendulum swings both ways from intense love happiness gratitude etc one moment then the individual can quickly descend into a dysphoric remember depressive type irritable anxious mood which often but not always is taken out on other people this up and down nature of mood is what we call emotional dysregulation which is exactly why I named my podcast The Dysregulated Podcast, because I am one emotionally dysregulated individual, that is for sure. Unfortunately, those with BPD tend to see the world in extremes. It's all or nothing, black or white thinking, zero or a hundred. There is no middle ground, there is no grey. Either I love you or I hate you. And then I can pivot on the spot and think the opposite, just like that. It is such a difficult disorder for those who suffer from it. And unfortunately, it can cause problems for those around them as well. As I've already said, it 
it is really difficult, BPD, especially when it's not being managed, which was me for so long, as we'll see in a moment. Many relationships, as a result, succumb to BPD. All of my previous relationships, obviously not including my current one, of course, which will buck the trend because I'm in therapy and doing everything I need to do, but all the ones previously have fallen victim to BPD. It was always because of the BPD. And I must take this moment to say that if any ex-girlfriend of mine is listening, I'm sorry for the distress cause. Truly, I am. I carry lots of guilt and regret with me still about some things in the past. And I guess that is the thing. Those with BPD, like I said earlier, don't want to make life difficult for other people or ourselves. But having this disorder is not like depression. Depression compared to BPD is very one-dimensional. Borderline personality disorder, as the name suggests, is a disorder of the personality. So that means that this cuts to the very core of the individual. And that is why it is so hard to get a handle of, although it can certainly be done, that's for sure. Research is very clear that those with BPD who engage in a type of therapy called dialectical behavior therapy, which we'll talk about more in a minute, have a very strong prognosis and pathway to recovery. I myself have done six months of DBT and it did help immensely. But borderline personality disorder is complex. It manifests itself differently in every person that suffers from it. But it can be driven back. I promise it can. So borderline personality disorder causes... Uh, has, has yeah, cause, sorry, causes three main vulnerabilities for those who suffer from it. So they are high emotional sensitivity. That's the first thing, okay? Very sensitive to the littlest criticisms or anything that's going on that is negative or perceived negatively. And then that follows with high emotional react, reactivity and a slow return to the emotional baseline, So people are ultra-sensitive to any perceived criticism, react in a big, over-the-top way, and often this perceived criticism actually isn't there at all, of course. Uh, So yes, react in a big way, and then it takes a long time for the individual to calm back down again. So the dysregulation found in BPD tends to hone in on these five key areas. So we've got emotions, people with borderline are often described as emotional burn victims due to their high emotional sensitivity. Their world, or our worlds, are constantly shifting, unpredictable and difficult to express to others and understand ourselves. Uh, We also have dysregulation of behavior, self-destructive, impulsive behaviors used to regulate intense negative emotions and just cope with life. There's dysregulated relationships, difficulty tolerating separation or perceived rejection from those they are closest to. Also have a constant fear of abandonment and everything that comes with that. There is dysregulation of self-image, a fragile and shifting sense of self. Destabilization happens often. Who even am I? What do I stand for? What is the go? A very common question that I have asked myself over the years. And finally, there is cognitive dysregulation as well. So that is distorted and impaired thinking. So coming up with all these fantasies where you 
your partner's going to cheat on you, even though there is no evidence that anything like that is going to happen. Oh, dear. So where does borderline personality disorder come from? Well, the biopsychosocial theory suggests that these individuals suffer from biological deficits in the brain. So here we are talking about an overactive amygdala. There it is again, the amygdala. I love talking about the amygdala, which is the part of the brain where fear and aggression come from, as well as many of our negative emotions. It is a doozy, which causes our emotional regulation system to be impaired. Further, people with BPD have perception and reasoning distortions caused by dorsolateral prefrontal cortex deficiencies. And finally, the anterior cingulate and orbit, or, I knew I'd get this wrong, orbitomedial prefrontal systems are troubled and that causes impulsivity problems and behaviors. So there's a bit going on with the brain. Straight off the bat, boom, the brain is predisposed to this way of thinking. But just because you may have all these impairments does not mean you will automatically have borderline personality disorder. There must be an interaction between these biological deficiencies, we could say, and the environment in which one finds themselves in. So a person-environment interaction, in particular, an invalidating environment. So anyone that knows much about BPD knows how, how crucial the invalidating environment is. So what is the all-important invalidating environment about? It is something like this. When a person communicates or engages in behaviors, you know, which, which encompass feelings, thoughts, preferences, beliefs, and sensations, and their views are dismissed, disregarded, criticized, or punished, this is where the invalidating environment arises from. It can be as simple as a mismatch between caregivers' emotional nourishment from the, from um, uh, out, sorry, let me start that again. Got a bit of dry mouth, see, from these new medications I'm on. That'll be the next episode. All right, so... <clears throat> It can be as simple as a mismatch between caregivers' emotional output and the individual's emotional needs. So me, for example, I am very emotionally needy. I didn't realize it for a long time, but I certainly do now. In When I was growing up, the emotional output from my parents did not marry up to the emotional input needs that were set by my brain and these different brain areas and that's where that mismatch occurred and that is the invalidating environment nobody's fault nobody's fault I didn't even know at the time that I was so emotionally needy so how on earth would my parents know so nobody's fault but at the same time that is what happened um, invalidating environments can also be caused by abuse Either way, the individual is wanting emotional nourishment from their caregivers and they ain't getting it in return, or at least not enough of it. So this invalidating environment causes a rejection of somebody's personal experience, punishes emotional displays, and intermittently reinforces emotional escalation. So what that means is the person with BPD is not getting the emotional output they require, so they go higher on the emotional scale. 
on their emotional output scale. And that's when fights start happening and this escalation occurs until finally they get the reaction they crave. The problem is often it turns into a fight and the emotions that they are receiving from the other person, their caregiver, are very negative and very judgmental. And all of a sudden, the cycle continues again. So people with borderline personality disorder often see themselves as misunderstood, hopeless, unlovable, neglected, lonely, a failure, etc. Those are pretty much words that come straight from my head when I wrote that down. That's pretty much how I think. And we can see here how other disorders such as depression can manifest themselves. Borderline pain has been described as this. And I quote, feeling misunderstood, thinking that nobody cares about them or that they are defective in some way, thinking about killing themselves, believing they are evil, feeling like a small child within and that they are damaged. That is the borderline pain, not a fun headspace to be in. That's for sure. Let me tell you. Now it's time to get very personal for a moment and I want to discuss what a BPD event or episode can look like. What an episode of BPD in full flight is all about. So speaking very honestly here, I'm going to share one story of when my BPD monster took over and how that all went down. Okay, so this story sees us go back three and a half years ago. So just after I returned home from a university student exchange in Manchester, United Kingdom, I met a girl who was also studying psychology over there who would become my girlfriend problem was we lived on the opposite sides of the world. She also had traveled a great distance to land in Manchester, such as I. So for someone with BPD, that spells trouble because trust issues almost always follow and precede a BPD diagnosis. And a long distance relationship, well, that is just about the worst idea ever because what followed was lots of distrust and accusations. And quite often, such as in this case, these worries about the other are actually unfounded, although they seem as real as it can get at the time. And this lends itself to the stress-related paranoid ideation component of the DSM criteria listed before. So that's what this is really tapping into. So anyway, the exchange is over and she's gone back to her country and I've returned to mine. This particular story sees it kick off around 4am in Australia when this phone call takes place. Never a good time of night for someone with BPD or probably anybody. I just finished work at my job in a nightclub, and which is also not a good place for someone with BPD to be working. It was very easy for me to imagine my girlfriend being here and meeting a new fella, that's for sure. So when this call was put through, I was already in a heightened state emotionally, and I was also very sleep-deprived. Uh-oh. So what happened after this was that the call that was made lasted hours, and it was me throwing accusations left, right, and center. It was like this monster had taken over, and that's exactly what she said. Elliot, you don't even sound like you. It's like something has taken you over. And unfortunately, it's not the first time or the last that I would be told that my voice even seems to change in these moments. 
But anyway, I continue to throw all these accusations out there in the most hurtful of ways without any evidence or logic to back them up. And this went on for quite a while. If I remember correctly, my girlfriend at the time had a birthday party she was attending at the place she volunteered helping those who were disadvantaged because that's the type of person she was. Definitely not someone to distrust. And I completely ruined that plan. What is interesting is that the whole time, the whole time that this was going on, underneath all the yelling, the crying, the begging, the accusing, was this little voice, my little voice of reason, the logical side of my brain telling me in a whisper, Elliot, if you keep this up, you are going to lose her. For God's sakes, pull up now. Yet I could not stop the outpouring of emotion. The right side of my brain had completely taken over at the behest of the BPD and it was like a runaway train without any brakes. And this went on for hours. And throughout it all, there would be brief moments of clarity where I would apologize profusely and promise never to do it again. And then the next moment, the emotional flooding would smash into me and it would be on again. This is very much an example of distorted cognitions. I had this firmly held belief that she would cheat on me or just end the relationship on a whim without any evidence or logical basis to it at all. And being separated by being on the opposite sides of the world just made things all that more harder. It really, really did. Needless to say, the relationship didn't last too much longer after this, and my BPD had taken yet another scalp. This was all before I even knew what BPD was, I might add, that I kept repeating the same patterns in all of my relationships, and most importantly, that it could be stopped. So I didn't even know that these patterns um, had existed. These patterns have been going on for years and years and years in all of my relationships, but it still hadn't clicked at this point that that was the case. And I certainly wasn't aware at this point that BPD was a thing or that it could be fixed. So there you go. We had a lot of learning to do, that's for sure. And I do wish that I knew this, all this information 17 years ago because a lot of trauma, both for me and others around me, could have been avoided. And that is a big part of why I, to this day, still carry around a lot of shame, regret and guilt over events in my past. But all I can do now is give it everything I've got to ensure that these same mistakes and patterns don't happen again. And this is why I am currently in the psychiatric ward at the Maitland Private Hospital, because these pervasive and destructive patterns must be stopped and not just for my own sanity and quality of life, but also for those who I care about around me. It is just a, as much about them as it is for me, that's for sure. All right, once again, this podcast has gone deeper, I think, than any before. So it is at this point of the episode, I really encourage you to rate the show five stars on your favorite podcasting platform. This is heavy stuff and you'll only find it here on the Dysregulated Podcast. Okay, now that that's out of the way, how do we treat borderline personality disorder? Well, the gold standard treatment is something called dialectical behavior therapy or DBT. DBT is a very comprehensive program which at minimum requires sessions weekly and lasts for six months. It is designed to build upon the framework set out by cognitive behavioral therapy. 
In the weekly sessions, it is the aim of the program to help the individual with BPD to change unhelpful thinking, change the maladaptive behaviors that occur, and empower the person to accept themselves and build a strong sense of self. It has four main focus areas, interpersonal effectiveness, emotional regulation, distress tolerance, and mindfulness. To explain DBT in full, it deserves its own episode, but that is the gist of it. A great program that I myself have completed and still use the skills I learned today, and that is true. Another therapy, schema therapy, has also shown promise in helping extinguish maladaptive thoughts and behaviors for those with BPD, as has transference-focused psychotherapy. But the gold standard and first-line psychotherapeutic intervention is always DBT, and that's for very good reason, because for the vast majority of people, it does work. And leading on from that, BPD is very treatable. Research shows that after two years of treatment, there can be up to a 40% remission of symptoms. Six years, we're looking at 68%, and after 10 years, a huge 86% remission of symptoms. And remission in this case means no longer meeting five out of the nine symptoms that must be present for a diagnosis as per the DSM-5 outline. So there is plenty of hope, that's for sure, plenty of hope. But the big, big point is this. BPD has very high rates of self-harm and suicide. But once someone with BPD is in a DBT program, then all of a sudden BPD is the it has the best prognosis out of any of the personality disorders. So really, for people with BPD, you've just got to get them in a therapy because therapy will do the rest. So if you know someone that has BPD that isn't in therapy, isn't getting treatment, please, please do all you can to get them in a treatment because it works and it saves lives. And it's as simple as that. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is a bit of a brief rundown of what borderline personality disorder is all about. I hope that offers some clarity around the disorder and really highlights how those with BPD do not choose to be the way that they are. We really don't, but with treatment, great results can be found. It is far and away the best treated of all the personality disorders, as I said before. In coming episodes, I want to do a deep dive into dialectical behavior therapy to really round out the BPD series. So stay tuned for that one. And I have a few stories up my sleeve of my time in DBT therapy as well. But that's all for now. I'm Elliot Waters signing off here from the Maitland Private Hospital Psychiatric Ward. See you on the next episode of the Dysregulated Podcast.